0: I think there's a lot that the nutrition world and I mean the amazing benefits and the amazing research that has been done in oncology and cancer is unbelievable. It saved thousands and thousands of lives, but it might save even more if they just bring those two together, right? That's all. Bring the nutrition and bring the cancer research, bring them together. You really see some lives being saved or preventative, in fact.
1: Welcome to The Better Podcast, where we provide guests topics and a little touch of humor to fuel your health and longevity. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Farrow, the founder and CEO of Better Health. And so today, our guest is someone who I consider a doctor's doctor. He's not only one of the top chiropractors in the nation, he also instructs thousands of chiropractors and physical therapists per year, either in-person seminars or through continued education on his platform, ProCredits.com. In addition, he's also certified in functional medicine. But most importantly, he is so into fitness and wellness, this guy is a geek. He not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. At 50 years old, he's in better shape than most 20-year-olds I know. And I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Charlie Nunziata. Charlie, how are you, my friend? Hey, Dr. Farrow, thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, one correction, it's, it's 51 now <laughs> as of last <laughs> week. So that's oh, the only time. to right. correct, John. I'm sorry. That went quick. It did. It did. Absolutely did.
1: So in full disclosure, first of all, thank you for wearing the better hat and the swagger. Right? My favorite hat. Appreciate you going there. So full disclosure for everybody, so I actually uh, went to school with Dr. Charlie in chiropractor school, and uh, that's how we became friends. You can't spend any time with Charlie where uh, we're usually joking, or then it goes back to the body, fitness, capillary cells. He knows physiology inside and out, so it's always a lot of fun to be around you. And I've always admired how you have always dedicated yourself to your fitness, your wellness, and all those things that matter. So today's topic is, you know, we have thousands and thousands of people that come to us, you know, each month from either their health plan, employer groups, physicians, friends or family, the gym chains we work with, and they're ready to get in shape. I would say the first thing they're trying to do is drop some weight, but they'd really like to, you know, be able to do more things actively in their lifestyle. But many of them tell me, well, you know what? I already have a low back pain issue. I have a neck pain issue. I have a knee pain issue. So today's episode is really focused on those folks that, want to do something internally so that they can start acting better externally. It's also for those folks that like, they don't want to have the dad bod or the mom bod anymore and they want to take things to the next level. So I brought you on because there's so much talk about all the new ways to exercise and all the things to do and uh, I know you're an expert in a lot of those things so this is what I wanted to talk about. Number one, someone Gets hurt, right? Let's call this an acute injury or something, an inflammation in their back or or a flare-up in their back. They pull something wrong on Friday, and immediately they think they have an issue. Is it ice or heat? I mean, the world wants to know. Is it ice or heat? Wow. (laughs) So if you asked me that question a year ago, I would have said ice. But after the research I've been doing,
0: I'm not sure if there's enough research to support that ice really helps an acute injury. You know, when we have an injury, the reason why we have the inflammatory process is because it is the initial steps to rebuilding whatever tissue has been injured, right? So it's the the initial repair process. Our fibroblasts all come out of inflammation. And what I mean by fibroblasts is the precursor to setting up new collagen and new soft tissue. So if you think about it, if you quell that inflammation with ice, you're actually stopping that fibroblastic proliferation to occur which will stop the healing of the new tissue to occur. So now if you look at it that way, maybe ice isn't the way to go. Maybe we want that inflammation. We work out and we break down our muscles. What are we doing? We're creating inflammation. That inflammation builds new tissue. So we don't want to ice. We would never think of icing muscles after we just work them out, right? So why are we icing muscles after an injury? So that's a debate, real debatable topic. The way I look at it, though, is If you have inflammation, inflammation is good for a reason, right? It's there to help to build new tissue. As soon as that inflammation gets overproductive, that's maybe where an ice situation or something to help quell that inflammation is important. But now, with all my research, I'm not sure I would go, I don't think I would go heat right after an injury, but I'm not sure I'd go ice anymore based on a lot of this research that's come out.
1: You blow my mind on that one because... That's all you hear is get ice, someone swelling of their ankle, you know, get ice on it right away. And I guess in a way you're like, yeah, I'm having the effect by reducing the swelling, but does that even make sense, right? Right. To, to your point, you know, wait, I'm, I'm going against what the body really wants. Maybe it makes me feel a little bit better, right? I think we can agree that icing will probably, if you're having some pain, definitely can help reduce the pain. So maybe it's not actually helping uh, the inflammatory and repair process, but maybe it could just for palliative, you know, effect helping with the pain. And so you brought that into, you know, someone who we just talked about this acute injury. But then you have people that have chronic pain. A lot of them don't know what to do anymore, right? They've had the ice packs, the icy hot, they, they've tried everything. What is your approach when someone walks into your clinic and they've had low back pain, neck pain, you know, for a couple of months, sometimes years? What is your approach? Well, how do you, you know, uh, assess them to, to see what's the right way to go? So there's so many levels to that. The first thing is that chronic pain
0: has been established, right? It's been there for days, weeks, months, usually more than three months is is the typical definition of chronic pain. So the body has developed these pain pathways that it thinks are normal now. So the first thing you have to do is break that pain pathway. So whether it be from doing some kind of trigger point work where you're working the muscles, massage, or even adjusting the spine or the extremity, or even something as simple as what you know in your field is taking inflammatory foods out of their diet. You have to somehow break that pain cycle and keep breaking that pain cycle so the brain now doesn't think that that's a normal neurological component of their body. And that's where I see it. So we try to break that pain cycle and you could do it through any kind of palliative type of of treatment. You know, it could be electric stim, uh, as we said, trigger point work. Stretching, right, is another good one. So you have to break that pain cycle and then, of course, find out why the patient stays in that pain cycle, something they're doing at home or at their office or while they're driving or even at the gym that's continuing that pain cycle. So that's the first thing I do is break the pain cycle, get all the inflammatory garbage out of their diets, you know, better uh, health is a great way to do that. And, you know, I would start and go from there. And let the patient understand that too. And you could delve into even Their psychological uh, way that they look at their pain, right? If they dwell on their pain, it's never going to really get better, right? So they have to get positive with it. So there's so many different variables into that that you must attack each one of them for it to work.
1: You know, we know food reducing inflammation. Can you just tell us what inflammation is like? Dumb it down for us. Like, what is inflammation in the body? We're constantly talking about this term. What is it? All right, so... You know, whether you have an injury
0: or even if you eat something that increases what are known as these interleukins, which are these inflammatory mediators or inflammatory chemicals. And you have good ones and you have bad ones, right? So imagine you have these interleukin chemicals that when they're released into your body, it creates more fluid in the area. It creates more pain because it affects nociception, which is the feeling of pain. And it creates, obviously, when you have more fluid, you have more nociceptor, you're going to have some more, in what they say, inflammation, you're going to have swelling. Whereas you also have these interleukins that do the opposite. They decrease the amount of inflammation in the area. So you could manipulate, right, which interleukins you're going to use. So you want to create more inflammatory interleukins or more anti-inflammatory interleukins. So that's how inflammation kind of works. So It can be manipulated. And one of the easiest ways to do that is based on the foods that you eat. Interesting. Omega-6 fatty acids. We hear about omega fatty acids. Omega-6 fatty acids will actually increase the evil or the bad. I don't want to say evil because we need, need inflammation sometimes, but in, influence the pro-inflammatory mediators, whereas omega-3s might influence the anti-inflammatory mediators. And what are good sources of food for both of those? You know, the big thing now are these pressed seed oils that are really bad because they're really high in what's called linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 fatty acid. So when you see and you look at ingredients and you see high sunflower oil or safflower oil or grapeseed oil to an extent, these are all high in linoleic acid, which is high in in omega-6 fatty acid, which will cause inflammation. The problem is these are what's found in all of our processed foods that are there. All of our packaged foods, they're found in all of those types of foods. So those are the things you want to avoid. Omega-3 fatty acids, good fish, salmon, walnuts, almonds, things like that have high omega-3 fatty acids.
1: It's interesting. So when I first started, you know, obviously I was a chiropractor, so I was always trying to get people out of pain. And then when I moved to the food first philosophy, I started seeing pain go away very, very quickly. And at the time, I, I wasn't well-researched on truly what inflammation was in the body. You know, I think being friends long enough to know you're a doctor's doctor and I'm a patient's doctor. Uh, you know, I was more about loving them up and, and, and doing those types of things. But when it came to the physiology part, that, that's not where I spent most of my time, right? And so when I was getting people to do this and they were losing weight, I always thought, well, the reason why their pain in their knee is going away or the back pain is going away is because I've got them down 15 to 20 pounds and there's less stress on the body. And so that made always sense to me. But then when I started seeing more people come in with carpal tunnel pain going away and headaches going away, that's when I really started to relate this systemic inflammation that is causing, because losing weight is not going to help pain in your, your wrist maybe a little bit, but it's not like you have extra stress on it. And so... I find it so fascinating how quickly your body can modulate that. And then what ends up happening is you may realize, maybe I don't have a back issue. I don't have it. I just had inflammation. Why does it seem to go to the joints? Like in a a case like fibromyalgia where someone's so fed up because they can't figure it out, why does inflammation end up kind of going to certain parts of the body? You know, most joints in our body are synovial joints,
0: right? They're filled with synovial fluid. It's like the cushioning between the two ends of the bone. And I think that what happens is that fluid likes to bring in more fluid, right? So it'll bring in inflammatory mediators those interleukins, those inflammatory interleukins, which will just cause more and more swelling in that area. That makes sense. That's probably the best way to describe that. But then again, there are some joints that are not synovial that also inflame. So, um, you know, it's hard to really know exactly what's going on in that process.
1: Yeah, you know, I know that inflammation is stored in fat tissue. So it kind of gets people stuck in this vicious cycle is the more inflammation you have causes insulin resistance, which causes your body to store more fat, and then it's storing more inflammation. And so people get stuck, and then, of course, they have this injury. And the only thing we've told people nowadays to get in shape is count your calories and start, you know, running around the block, you know, until your tongue falls out of your head. So for those that are coming onto this platform, I think what I'm hearing is understanding the inflammation process is important understanding, resetting the pain pathways is important. You mentioned stretching, you mentioned exercise, acupuncture, massage. How does acupuncture play a part in that?
0: Wow, so acupuncture, is, I mean, it's one of the oldest, out of all the things you mentioned, one of the oldest treatments, right? So we, in our body, we have these meridians. We have these energy meridians where energy, and you can't really quantify it, and you can't see it, obviously, but energy flows. And th- sometimes those processes, think about them as highways, will get blocked. And they may get blocked from inflammation. They may get blocked from chemicals that we either breathe in or ate that are bad first. And when that blocks, we lose our energy. So energy maybe in the low back might be blocked. And now that low back may develop all kinds of pain, inflammation, what have you. So what acupuncture does is it's needles that go into, it could be acupressure too, but it's manipulating those meridians so that now they become free. They become less blocked and now energy is allowed to flow to whatever area, you know, you might be having an issue with. Um, I think it's a great, great treatment.
1: It seemed to me that why Americans and anyone is so frustrated is that when they have an issue, headaches, back pain, neck pain, because we're such a siloed healthcare system, right? If you have GI issues, you go to GI. If you have uh, diabetes, you go to endo. So in this scenario, it's like you have people that either swear by acupuncture or they don't. They either swear by chiropractic or they don't. They swear by physical therapy. They're, they're, people always have their modality. And I think talking to you kind of brought this epiphany just now is like because they're they're choosing to do them by themselves. So you can't just do the physical therapy. You also have to change the pain pathways, eat better, modulate those bad interleukins as you mentioned using food. And so maybe all of those modalities would be equally positive for the person if they had all the other components. So we definitely hit on the, the eating right. We added on, make sure you're getting the vitamins and minerals, also avoiding things like seed oils and some of the other foods that are causing this. Besides seed oils, what other foods in this scenario would you say, look, these are no-go. If you have back pain and neck pain and headaches and you're trying to get to the next level, what would be no-go foods for you? So, I mean, if you were to really dumb it down and make it simple, anything that I have to take out of a package,
0: right, anything that has an expiration date that's over a month old you know has to have some kind of processing to be done with it and some, um, give me the word I'm looking for, the... Preservatives? Um, Preservatives, thank you, thank you. Can you think of that one? That's the stuff I would avoid. If you look at those, and it's funny because it's not a coincidence, if you look at those, you turn them over and you look at the ingredients, first of all, you probably can't pronounce half of them, right? Secondly, you're going to see in the first three or four ingredients some kind of pressed seed oil. And that's really the thing now that I'm doing a lot of research on trying to show that that is what we should be avoiding more than anything right now in our, in our society. You know, not so much meat. You know, I think meat's good for you if it's, you know, grass-fed and things, but
1: these processed, preserved seed oils are what we should be really be looking at. And uh, you mentioned the cold bath. We're going to get that in a second. The other thing I want to bring up is cold or just lasers in general, right? We hear about laser therapy in terms of injury repair. Can you describe to us A, what's the difference in different lasers and and what what your experience is using them in uh, in practice? Well, like, so obviously a
0: hot laser is what's going to be used in surgery. It's a device that you or I wouldn't be able to use in our practices, and it's designed to actually remove tissue. Whereas a cold laser uses different frequencies of wavelengths of light, which they found now that our body responds to different frequencies in different ways. And in most frequencies, our body responds by repair by increasing the proliferation of fibroblasts and things of that nature to try and repair tissue. They found that using lasers on the brainstem in the head has increased the production of dopamine and things of that nature. So these different wavelengths, you can't see them, they're at a, a visual wavelength you can't see, will actually influence the body to start the repair process or produce more of some kind of neurotransmitter opposed to another. So it's amazing stuff. There's still a lot of research that I think needs to be done on it, but I think it's a great, great therapy. And it goes from anything from repairing tissue to, as we said, repairing, you know, people with Parkinson's are getting benefits from laser therapy to their brain and things of that nature.
1: You know, we have a lot of folks that sometimes will come to us and say, hey, you know, I don't want to do the program yet because I got a knee surgery coming up. Or I have another type of surgery coming up. And I'm like, This is the best time. If you want to prepare for any surgery, like, you need to get yourself as internally healthy as possible because it could be taxing every part of your body. And also for post, right? So now you're coming out of the hospital and you're in discharge. I think last week when we had Chris B. Cancer on the podcast, he said that what made him question everything he was doing, they brought him in for surgery right away. And he's like, when surgery was over, they're like, listen, you know— the bad news is there was more than we thought. The good news is we think we got it all. We got the limbs, whatever. And he's now he said, if I now I know that they can't get it all. Cancer's everywhere right. through the body. That's yeah. a misnomer. He said, but the thing that shook him most was they got out and his first meal was sloppy joes. And he's looking at the doctor like, okay. And then he asked the doctor, is there any food I should be avoiding now that I, you know, you know, I've had this colon cancer. And he goes, nope, just don't lift anything over 10 pounds. And that was the number one, like, we're laughing at it, but this is still happening today. Even though that was 18, 20 years ago for this man, we just put so little emphasis on it. And now it seems like this needs to be the biggest emphasis for post-rehab, pre-rehab, and as soon as you injure yourself. Do you agree? Absolutely.
0: We know that cancer thrives in high-glucose environments, right? And some of the best cancer treatments nutritionally, are to reduce simple sugars and carbohydrates. And the first thing that some of these cancer patients get after they go through a round of chemo is what? Is candy, that they have it, they give it to them. So I think there's a lot that the nutrition world and, and I mean, the amazing benefits and the amazing research that has been done in oncology and cancer is unbelievable. It saved thousands and thousands of lives. But it might save even more if they just bring those two together, right? That's all. Bring the nutrition and bring the cancer research, bring them together. You really see some lives being saved or preventative, in fact.
1: All right, so this is the pathway back for people that are hurt and ready to go. We know it's food. We know they can do trigger point massage, acupuncture, cold laser therapy, all those things to help, stretching, all those things to help get the brain and the body back into another place. Now, feeling better, but I'm still looking like I got a dad bod and it's time for me to take it to the next level. How does someone begin now? post some of those acute and chronic injuries. Now they're ready to go. Pretend they got their diet in check. Where do they begin? You know, they show up to you at one of your locations and now they're ready for the fitness. where do you start them? So obviously we, we want to start here
0: and work our way here, right? And how fast that happens, it might go be this fast. It might be this fast, depending on, on the patient. But the one thing that I'd like to do is work our mindset. Mindset's so important. You know, you read, do you read David Goggins' books? I mean, he, he has an amazing mindset. Um, you know, he's the the Navy SEAL who just his whole idea is the more you can tax your body, your brain and your body, the better, the more you're gonna grow and the better you're gonna become. But that also has a line that you can step over where patients will say, Oh, there's no way I'm doing this, right? So you have to be careful and you have to stay in that in that zone right there. But one of the things I want my patients to understand is whether they're 30 years or oh, years old or they're 60 years old. You know, everyone hears, oh, I'm 60, I can't build muscle, I can't lose weight. They hear these things, and it becomes a mindset that is negative, and it's not true. It's definitely not true. You know, one of the, I think we talked about this once, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you are, right? That's so important, and to get that mindset is so important. If I sit there and I think I'm 51 years old, there's a lot of stuff I'm, I'm going to not do because I think I can. I'm setting my own limitations. So the first thing is I get them in a mindset that says, doesn't matter how old you are, you can do this. This is important for you to do. And then we just start out slow, right? It's all about starting out slow. It's not about making sure the next day they can't move because they're so sore. That'll, that's actually counterintuitive, right? So we start out slow. And I love to start out with, you know, you have to think about this. To burn fat, you don't have to get your heart rate up that high, right? It's burning fat, you're in a lower heart rate. Now, it might not give you the cardiovascular benefits you're looking for, but those will come. So I like to start out low, keeping it at a nice low heart rate, 100 to 120, somewhere in there. And it could be walking. It could be jumping jacks. It could be something very, very simple of riding a stationary bike. But understanding where your heart rate is and what your limitation is on the high end and the low end, that's where I like to start with uh, someone who wants to start to lose weight and become fitter. Let's say that.
1: It's a great to take it easy. So I will give the warning. So anyone that's doing our new AI fitness trainer inside the app, it's great because you're sitting there and the trainer's actually doing the exercises. You're mimicking them kind of like the mirror, but without, you can do it on your phone or your laptop. Yeah, it's great. As you're doing it, it's telling you, bend at the right leg. It's giving you real-time instruction so you can do it right. The issue is you're doing it with a pro instructor. So sometimes people get frustrated because they can barely do it. And I'm like, that's the best part. You're watching how it's perfectly done. And even if you can only get a quarter of the way that they can do it, imagine what you're going to be like in three weeks. We can actually see that progression. When normally we go to the gym and the only way we can tell we're getting better is if we take off our shirt and can notice a difference versus all the anatomical touch points that we have. And so I know with you, whether it's functional medicine or functional training, you do a lot of functional type training. Can you explain to people what functional training is? What, what does that actually mean? So first, let me just say that virtual training
0: you talked about is amazing because, kid, number one, it's, it, it makes exercising safe and it also makes sure you know you're doing, you're on the right path doing it correctly, right? But everyone's at a different part of their path and you shouldn't try to be at someone else's path when you're on your own, right? So that's an important thing to understand with that. But with functional training, you know, you could, you could go to a gym and you could sit in one of the machines and just do, you know, a bench press on the machine Where everything is supported, your back supported, your lower body supported, your feet are supported. And it's fine. That's great. You're working your chest muscle. That's excellent. I think there's a time and a place for that. But functional training is when you're actually training for a specific event, whether it be a sport or whether it be a long hike that you're gonna do. Functional training is actually training your muscles and your cardiovascular system for a specific purpose. Functional training improves your balance, which is so important as we get older, right? We see balance issues in the, in the elderly. Functional training will improve your core, right? stabilize your core. If I'm sitting on a machine and everything's supported and I'm just pressing, I'm really not getting much core work. My core doesn't have to engage. So functional training requires that your body engages these muscles that help you to stand straight, help you to stand on one leg, help you to not fall over to one side. And that's, that's essentially functional training. And I think it should be part of, and it doesn't have to be crazy, but it should be a part of everyone's you know, requisite to, to get fit.
1: Charlie, let's talk the big rage now is everyone's trying to get cold baths, right? Yes. They're going to buy a cold bath. They want to get in a cold bath. They just want to be freezing cold now. Why, where did this <laughs> come from? And does this have the research behind it? So first of all, you don't have to, I mean, I bought a cold bath, but you don't have to
0: buy a cold bath. You could take a shower. I mean, I'll, I'll show you ways that you could do it in the shower that works I mean, almost as well. I think this came about from Wim Hof, who is um, a Scandinavian gentleman. He's about six years old now, who just started doing cold therapy on his own because he felt that it felt good for him. And now research and scientists have started to study his blood, started to study his cardiovascular system, his weight, everything, and found that what he's doing has some really crazy beneficial effects on what's known as hormesis. So hormesis is when... Your body is exposed to small amounts of something that's really not good for you in large amounts. But in small amounts, what it does is it allows your body to actually adapt to that and become stronger. Think about like someone who works with their hands and they develop calluses on their hands. What is that? That's the body's way of making their hands stronger in response to the stimulus that they have every day. It's the same idea with this. So what cold therapy does essentially is it will, you know, obviously bring your core temperature down, but it increases what's known as brown fat, right? So in our body, we have white fat, we have brown fat. Brown fat is that metabolically active fat. It's the fat we use when we need some energy that burns, right? It's very, very good for us. It's very, very good to burn and it's it's, it's efficient. And as we get older, we lose it. Babies have a lot of brown fat. And the reason why they have a lot of brown fat is because They don't move, right? They sleep and they don't do it. So they never burn. They have no energy to burn. That's how, that's why they have a lot of brown fat. It's easier to burn that type of energy, especially when you're not moving. But as we get older, we lose our brown fat. It's been shown, Wim Hof has shown it amongst many other scientists that as we develop cold adaptations, like taking a cold bath or a cold shower, we actually increase our brown fat, which is, I think they say that you could turn your white fat to your brown fat which makes it more metabolic. Active. It's much easier to burn. So now you're losing fat you have more energy. It's much, much better for you. So that's one benefit of the, of the cold therapy. So it's, it's all about your body adapting to it. They've also found that your body is able to develop a better immune response to different types of viruses and bacteria from overexposure or repeated exposure to the, to the cold. And that Wim Hof has shown over and over. Um, what they did with him is they actually took a, a virus and injected it into him. And they did this. It wasn't an N equals one. They did it to 200 other people. And in 99% of the other people, they developed a response to that virus. They got sick. Wim Hof, he did not. And then they repeated it over and over again. And they think it's because his immune system has built up so
1: well because of this exposure to the cold. I'm a huge fan of it. I've also heard about like lengthening the telomere. Uh, and the DNA, and, like, it has effects for longevity. Explain how it actually could affect your DNA. Yes, so what is a telomere,
0: right? A telomere is we have a, a finite number of them in our body as we get older, and we lose them as we get older, right? It's almost like an aging process. And what they found is this exposure to these elements in short periods of time actually increase. Instead of losing our telomeres, we increase our telomeres. So essentially, we're creating longevity. We're creating... Our, our body to be able to live longer and, and, and older. It's always been thought for years that the DNA you have, the DNA I have is the DNA, nothing will change it. But now they're showing through these, this hormetic process of exposing ourselves to cold and things of that nature. We're actually being able to, our DNA is being able to change the proteins it makes for the better, right? To make us healthier, to, to block out bad proteins, right? Because usually when like cancer, for example, is usually when your DNA replicates, 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 and it does it right every time. But that one time it does it wrong, and now we have a DNA issue. What they found this is that this hormetic exposure could actually make sure that when the DNA is incorrectly transcribed, it gets fixed quicker. Or it doesn't even have the malfunction in the transcription. So just lots and lots of benefits that, again, they're at the infant stage, but um, more and more research is being done showing the benefits of it. And so how often do you do it? So I I try to do it four days a week. You know, from the research I saw, believe it or not, you only need 11 minutes a week for it to make, take the changes that it needs. So I try to do like three minutes, four days a week. But I'll also do shower ones where at the end of my shower, I'll turn it down cold gradually and I'll try to stay in there for about a minute to two minutes as cold as I possibly can take it. And then I don't turn it back hot, I then just turn it off and get out. But one of the secrets that maybe people could do in the, in, is, is to use what's called box breathing. So box breathing is when you breathe in for about four seconds, you hold it in for four seconds, then you breathe out for four seconds and you hold it out for four seconds. So it makes like a box. Do, if you're in the shower and you're trying this for the first time, put it cold, as cold as you can take it, and do four box breaths. So that's it, just, just concentrate on your breathing and not concentrate on the cold. And you'll be at the end of your fourth and you say, I can do another one, right? And you'll let you know you're doing seven box breaths, each one 16 seconds long, and you're at a minute and a half already in the in the cold. So that's what I recommend, box breathing. It kind of controls your mind. It takes your thought process off of, boy, that's really, really cold, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I'll tell you, though, you do get used to it. Like what I did the first day I got into the ice bath, took now is – you know, from thirty seconds now, like I've been in there up to six minutes, and then you know, which I don't recommend to do, but I just wanted to see how long I could I could handle it. But you know, you definitely get accustomed to it.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if when I went to Iceland the one time, I was in the steaming hot bath and jumped into the cold lake, and I was in there for like twenty minutes, and I'm good for life. Right, I agree with this testing the body in small increments because it also can extrapolate over to. Intermittent fasting, right? Isn't that what they're finding with intermittent fasting? Isn't that also a a little... That's also a hormetic process, absolutely. And on on top of that, you also have people that are, you know, doing, we'll call it mental fasts. Uh, So they're going into dark rooms. Have you heard of this? They go into a dark room for four days, five days, no light. Isn't Aaron Rodgers doing that right now? Yes. Aaron Rodgers is in in it. Yeah, he just completed it. He just did it. So all these things to help have those little small, you know, incremental stressors. The last one and the one that's most expensive and why I brought up last is the hyperbaric, right? We've heard a lot about this. And and here's what I've learned about hyperbaric from a few people is that there's a lot of hyperbaric, we'll call them chambers out there, that actually aren't getting to the right millibars or whatever based upon this research that was done. And so from the first thing I learned is you have to be careful which one you go to because it may not be enough to even give you what. The, it was a guy in Israel who did the research to give you enough. But can you explain more about that therapy? So I've never done it. I do want to
0: do it, though. Or just, I want to try it. But essentially what you're doing is you're, you're, you're taking an environment. You could do it. They have hyperbaric runes now, and they have hyperbaric individual chambers. And what you're doing is you're increasing the oxygen pressure by two to three times. So you're really saturating the air with oxygen, which if you're breathing, it has no place to go but into your lungs, Right. So you do have to be careful. You can oversaturate yourself with oxygen. And all of these places, if you're going to do it, you want to make sure it's monitored and you know, you're not over overdoing with that. If you have ear injuries, you shouldn't really do it because of the pressure, right? So there are certain things that you have to make sure you don't have. But for the most part, it's safe for everybody if it's controlled. You have two to three times more oxygen that you're taking into your, to your body, right? So the areas in your lungs that fold the oxygen now are expanding greatly and they say you should do it for about two hours, I've heard. I don't know if you've, if you've seen some of those things, but about two hours is where you want to be in there for. And you're not going to see immediate results. It takes maybe a week of doing it. But essentially, you expand your oxygen capacity, and now your lungs can take in a lot more oxygen, right? So they become much, much more efficient. And anytime we make a heart or our lungs more efficient, right, they don't have to work as hard in normal daily life, right? Anything that doesn't have to work as hard is going to obviously, last longer. So what happens is now when you're taking all this oxygen, your blood becomes very alkaline, right? So you have, think about a pH scale. you have very acidic to very alkaline. Acidity, like cancers, love an acidic environment. They thrive in acidity, but they don't like oxygen. They don't thrive in an oxygen-rich environment. So what this does is it increases your oxygen, it increases your alkalinity, which fights off things like cancer, viruses, um, it helps tissues, to heal. Think about burn wounds, right? People who have burn wounds, what do they want to do? They want to get as much oxygen to that area as possible to help those tissues heal. So it goes along that full principle. So the more oxygen you have in a controlled environment, the better your tissues are going to heal, the better you're going to ward off disease and cancer and things of that nature.
1: And so there's all these things we can do. The great thing is, is that most of them could be free, right? Ice baths, like, you know, the box breathing, I think is a great technique. Eating's free. You know, you can just change the way you're, you're eating, what's going into your body. To, so you don't have to be lifestyles of the rich and famous to right. afford, you know, all those different therapies that are out there. I'd like to get to the point where all the money we're spending on pharmaceuticals and unnecessary things that we're doing, you know, not basking in pharmaceuticals, they save lives. When I go to Europe, I'm always, you know, you can go to like Norway, particularly Iceland, where the whole town centers around their pool. And they all go to the pool and they all get in they they dip in the hot and they dip in the cold and they go swimming and their wellness centers are what, you know, we're considering cutting edge, but it's like, yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> exactly. And I know for you, you've always been a guy that wants to you you need things backed up by research. And that's what I always appreciate is that you're not just gonna take the word of anybody. And so doing that, the next phase for you and with better is we're we're gonna create a fitness program for people to do that are A, dealing with a chronic issue to get them off of that chronic issue, neck pain, low back pain, arm pain. And then we're going to do the kind of take it to the next level series uh, where, you know, you're taking a group of people through, well, I think we're going to do a 90-day challenge. But give us a day in the life of Dr. Charlie, all right? So like your fitness routine. Tell us what you do. Tell us what you eat. Everyone wants to know from what time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Give us a day in the life. I don't know
0: if everyone wants to know that, but. I get up around 5.15, not by choice. I have a little dog who's old and has a small <laughs> bladder and wakes up at 5.15. But if, if I did have choice, it would be 5.30. I don't like to sleep late. I think I get all my good stuff done in the morning. So I'll get up and very simple, I'll just stretch. I'll just do whatever my body feels like I need, whether it's a side bend, a forward bend, stretching out my hip flexors. I'll just stretch for about five minutes. That's it. And then I'll do breathing exercises. And we talked about box breathing, and and that's great, but there's other breathing exercises that you could do. And I mentioned Wim Hof. The Wim Hof method has some great simple breathing exercises for you to do, and it just energizes you because, as we said, it increases your oxygen in. So I'll do my Wim Hof breaths for a little while, and then, just like anyone else, I have vices, I'll have a cup of coffee, I'll watch a little, you know, sports center for maybe 15 minutes, and then by 6 o'clock, I'll go to the gym. And I'll... Do my gym routine about 45 minutes. I don't go crazy. Just an exercise routine in the gym. And then come home, take a shower, get my day started. Maybe have a second cup of coffee, get my day started. But notice I'm not eating, right? I don't eat. I like to intermittent fast for, you know, at least till 12 o'clock. And then I'll have my first meal. First meal could be eggs with turkey, bacon, and maybe some avocado. It could be some lean meat. Um, It could be some tuna fish. I don't eat as much vegetables as I used to, but I'll have some, maybe a little bit of kale in there. Then I'll go, I'll work. About three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'll have my piece of fruit. And whether it's an apple or berries, what have you, I'll have a little bit of fruit and even maybe like a tablespoon of honey. But the honey has to be raw, it has to be unfiltered. So maybe a little bit of honey just gives you some energy and it's good for you. It's good for your teeth. It's healthy for you. It is high in sugar, but... I'm not having a lot of sugar, so it, it is okay. And it's a natural sugar. Uh, then dinner time comes and I'll have uh, a lean protein or even a fattened protein. Sometimes I'll have a, um, a ribeye, you know, but it's grass-fed. It's not like the cows are eating um, any kind of omega-6 fatty acids from any kind of cornmeal or things. It's all grass-fed uh, meats. And again, maybe a little bit of avocado. and then uh, And then I try not to eat, but this is usually the time after dinner that, you know, we all have that. Time where you're like, I just want something sweet. So maybe I'll have another teaspoonful of honey with maybe some, uh, some yogurt. Some Faya yogurt is the one I like to have. And then at eight o'clock, I'm done. So if it's eight o'clock and I haven't, and I need to have my, you know, my dinner yet. Sometimes, if I'm going to keep to my intermittent fast, I won't eat until the next day around 12 o'clock, and that's that's not difficult. To, that's not hard to do, and I don't think it's that great for you to do sometimes. But that's what I'll try to do. I don't want to eat right before I go to bed. Obviously, we do that, and we get into trouble. We get into it disrupts our circadian rhythm. Number one, number two, when we're trying to sleep, our body, our blood is now going to our digestive tract to try and digest the foods we just ate. So you're not going to sleep well. You're not going to have restorative deep sleep when you do that. So I make sure that there's at least three hours between my last meal and when
1: I go to sleep. And that's the boring day in the life. There it is. I think the thing is, is that that wasn't always your routine, right? And so over time, you learn what fuels your body the best. And when we take people through better, doing the elimination reduction, it's not just figuring out what foods are fueling you versus failing you. It's also figuring out timing of meals, what makes you feel good, alternating you know, if you're going to have a salad, some people say, I, I have to do better when I have my salad at dinner versus lunch. And it's really finding your groove. I've been intermittent fasting my whole life, not because I knew what it was. I just, for some reason, never craved breakfast in the morning. Like, it just ne- never was my thing. So I was always, you know, quote, unquote, breaking the fast later than most. But then I also found that I was not being diligent about what I was eating when I was to eat. And then that would, because I was so hungry then by that time and I didn't have a good plan in place, I would just eat whatever. Now I have a very specific plan. So I, I start with pretty much eggs every day. A- after my workout, 10, 30, 11 is when I'll start eating. I'm different than you as I really crave fruit. So like a good apple, strawberries, blueberries, bananas. Had, not bananas, sorry, strawberries and blueberries really help me get some extra fiber in my body. And I take it with my probiotic. I do a lot of the lean proteins. And then if I'm going to do veggies, I saute them in broth, not oils, because I only use oils to taste. So when I'm done, I'll put a little olive oil on it for taste. And, I, and I, for a while there, I was telling people to get grapeseed oil. You know, I was telling people to, to do these, these other types of things. And now I just got back to straight old, really good high quality olive oil and yep. um, seems to do the trick. All right. So lastly, to finish this whole thing up, people have been struggling. they you know, they've tried everything. And you said it's up in people's head. I'm trying to get people to understand that the hardest thing I have to do is sell you on yourself, to sell you that your body can actually look great, feel great at any age. And you mentioned about that people think they can't lose weight or, or gain lean muscle tissue, you know, when they get older, but it's, it's the opposite. So what do you say to these folks that are running out, getting Testosterone replacement therapy and all these other uh, components. I mean, it looks like, well, hey, my testosterone drops naturally, so maybe I should be putting in this that help me. Right? It seems like it might be a an avenue. That's one. Number two, you got this other drug out there, the diabetes drug, the GLP one inhibitors, for people to use for weight loss. These things always scare me. Should they? Yes.
0: Absolutely. You're seeing a rise in uh, liver failure. You're seeing a rise in liver enzymes and a lot of blood work on with these people who are taking these, di- uh, these uh, insulin drugs or these met- metformin is one that they have, right, for off-label purposes. You know, if you have diabetes and you need that drug, that's for life, right, to keep you alive. But they've been using it, obviously, for weight loss. And it's becoming, I think it's becoming an epidemic because you have so many liver issues now because of that. It's almost the easy way out, right? And unfortunately, if anything's worth doing, it's, it's difficult to do. And losing weight's not easy. Better has made it so much easier for so many people because of the, the structure and the foods you're allowed to eat and the coaching, right? Better's made it so easy, but it's not an easy process overall. And this just makes something easier. And the way I look at it is if, if something is made to be easy, there's got to be a drawback to it. But yes, there are some liver, definitely some liver idea, liver issues that are happening with these people taking these drugs for long periods
1: of time. So I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I want to tell them, like, I have to sell you on the fact that actually in three days, your body can start converting fat to energy very quickly. At day one, 24 hours later, we have people seeing the scale go down, and they're always like, well, that's just water weight. I'm like, no, you're actually converting fat to energy very quickly, and- Let's just say it was water weight. It shouldn't be there That Right. That's, good. <laughs> that's great to eliminate that. Yeah. That's yeah, great. let's get rid of that and get them back to believing in their own body again has been kind of one of the bigger struggles. And I try not to talk about the GOP-1 stuff because, you know, people are like, oh, well, you're just saying that because you want people to do it naturally. And although that sounds crazy to hear, but I, that's what people say to me. Like, yes, I do want them to do it naturally. And I know they can, regardless of what they think they can do. But I'm just, I'm curious because now you have these other centers popping up where they're giving testosterone out. Like, everybody's doing it. And what, what are some of the complications you could see about maybe doing, you know, testosterone replacement therapy over time? The ones that are doing it
0: correctly, what are they doing? They're, they're not increasing the testosterone to ungodly numbers. They're trying to bring you back to what you once were when you were younger, right? So I'm not, I don't know if that's good or bad because there's a reason we get older and there's a reason why our testosterone drops, right? We don't need as much. We're not procreating anymore, so we really don't need it in that aspect. The only thing I've seen with it on a male, the prostate doesn't like all that testosterone, right? That's when the prostate starts to hypertrophy and get bigger, and we start to have prostate issues is usually when we increase our testosterone. So that being said, if you're going to do it, make sure you're monitoring all those systems, especially the prostate to make sure, and your liver enzymes, to make sure you're not overdoing it, right? You're keeping everything, you know, don't, you know, sell, that's the same, uh, Rob, Peter, to pay Paul, right? We don't want to do that. But as far as the testosterone goes, to be honest, I don't know good or bad yet if that's something that we're going to five years be like, I can't believe that we're doing that. But as long as you monitor your, your enzymes and monitor your prostate, you know, I don't think it's too bad for you. Would I do it? No. But, you know, I know people that are doing it
1: when you're lifting weights, you're working out. Your muscles are creating more testosterone. And I think a lot of people are getting tested before they even tried just general exercise in their life and lower body workouts and, and things of that nature. One more thing about what you said about raising testosterone
0: naturally. There is a good article out there, and I wish I had the name of the the, the, the um, author, that showed that uh, 11 minutes of cold therapy and 57 minutes of sauna a week actually raised testosterone levels in, in subjects. So... You can do it naturally. It's not raising it the way, obviously, a testosterone shot would do it, but it's raising it, right? So you can do it naturally. So that's something to understand.
1: Got it. Well, I'm looking forward to your uh, fitness program. I know we're still creating it, but I can't wait to get involved with it. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the Better Podcast brought to you by BetterHealth.com. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to this feed on this podcast app you're using right now. This episode was edited and produced by Yearfluence, and I'm Dr. Bill Farrell. And we'll see you again on the next Better Podcast. Hey there, listeners. Did you know we not only have an award-winning podcast, but we have an amazing blog to go with it? If you go over to BETRHealth.com and click on the blog button, you'll have access to recipes, member stories, food is medicine tips, and so much more. That's BETRHealth.com slash blog.